Two great reasons why you might love this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. One, you love cartoons and comics. Two, you were abandoned by a friend at some point in your life. <laughs> no, that's nothing to laugh about. But hey, you might relate. Enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. Hey, everybody. I wish you could see, like, have a little window into the process here. Because I imagine when I listen to podcasts, people just click record and they just get to it. And then they just include it in the episode. But over here, I'm I'm thinking part of my process is losing my mind. Recording and saying things so many times that I just start to flip out. And uh, so welcome to me uh, flipping out a little bit mentally. And I generally am this week. Just lots of stuff has me kind of destabilized and off center. But I'm so glad to be right here. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast. I am your creatively conscious mortality host, Ned Buskirk. Let me keep this succinct. The beginning of You're Going to Die, more than anything, was an, a call to action, urgency, you're going to die, share your song, share your poem, tell your story, whatever it is, like get it out of you because there is no promise for tomorrow, no promise for tomorrow. And so what happened back then is it gave me a place to do that. I, I mainly in the beginning, although I was the host, I, I also read my poems and would try to sing a song and have my friend play guitar while I, I took a stab at singing and it was good for me to have that. That's really what I needed from that space. Also, I wanted to talk about my mom and my mother-in-law and their lives and death and, and death and dying and mortality and all those things I was feeling and figuring out. But I'm bringing that up to say this particular beginning of You're Going to Die connects to the guest we have because they came to the show back then when it was definitively that kind of invitation. And mostly who came to the show were artists, musicians, writers locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that's shifted. I'd say now populated more. Our events are bringing in people who just want to be together in community and share their stories, which I, by the way, won't get into it. But I think that in itself is a creative act, a really courageous one. People that show up, my favorite kind of share, they show up, they don't know they're going to get on stage, and suddenly they realize they need to, and so they sign up and they get up and say, I've never done this, I didn't plan on it, but here we go. And that is like creativity explosively present in, in the context of our open mics. But the invitation in the beginning brought in a lot of artists, and this guest came to one of those early events 10 years ago. And they were doing a review for a local publication, but they weren't just writing a review. They're a cartoonist. So what they did is they were going around to restaurants, events, things like that, and our open mic, and they were doing comics for their review. And so I still have this image of me, uh, a little drawing of me hugging a guy off the stage because that's what we do. We still do it at the the in-person open mics that we're doing in the Bay Area. It's the nicest way 
I figured out how to stop people from going over the five minute allotted time they have. And trust me, stopping people is needed. It's hard. And so the hug was an important, kind, tender way of doing that. And in this comic review, the guest here, Mari Naomi, drew me hugging someone off stage. And so I've known this human being for a long time. And I'd say over the years, we have not really been in touch. Following them on social media, definitely connected and seeing what they're up to, but we haven't really talked. And so this conversation today is the first conversation we've had, I think, probably since then, since 10 years ago. And I found out that they have a book coming out, a new comic collage, and I said, we gots to talk. Now, you might expect, especially if you're new to the show, oh, we're going to talk about death. Like, we're all going to die. We're mortals. And that is true. And it's definitely present here in the episode. But we also talk a lot about maybe, let's see, this category of the little deaths. Maybe, for example, like when a goldfish dies. Uh, these things we lose in life, the breakups, the job loss, those kind of losses. And by the way, the open mic makes room for that kind of grief too, those kinds of losses. And I think making room for that stuff is a way of processing our own mortality, actually. There's a way those wounds connect back to other things that have hurt us, wounds of abandonment, of loss, uh, trauma, and to the future, the inevitability of our disappearance from this world and the loss of everything we love. Um, <laughs> gosh, I say it matter-of-factly, but dang, that's intense. Well, listen, we're not going to get deeply into the specifics of all that. What I want to say is this conversation today is about Mari Naomi's book, and the book is about grieving a friendship. And there's stuff you'll hear in this conversation where I get to share about my own relationship with that sort of loss and the uniqueness of that kind of death, quote unquote, death in, in life. And what a treat to get to read and look through these amazing pages that Mari Naomi created for this book, I Thought You Loved Me, and have myself feel seen by the book. Because I think these losses, it's like we're not, we're not really allowed to make a lot of room for a friend that stopped talking to us. You know, it's not, it's not big enough. It's, it doesn't deserve a lot of grief, like move on. They're not dead. They're still out there. But boy, there's things wrapped up in all that that we touch on a bunch in this conversation. So feeling really grateful for all those reasons to have this guest on the show. So Mari Naomi is a Bay Area Gen Xer who has been publishing comics since the 90s. They're about to publish their ninth book, a collage comics graphic memoir about a friendship gone wrong and the unreliable nature of memory. They are the founder of the Cartoonists of Color, Queer Cartoonists, and Disabled Cartoonists databases. I want to say that the artwork for this episode is Mari Naomi's artwork. We talk in this conversation about this huge collage piece that they did for a show, and it got destroyed. And so the actual image and the artwork for this ep is that piece. Love having artists, cartoonists actually create our episode artwork. So just a note about that. Check it out. Quick, easy access to their artwork in the episode artwork. And definitely check out this book. Before you listen to the conversation, I want to make that really clear. It is incredible. It's incredible what's in this book, how much it must have taken to put it together. 
how that journey of this piece, this book, uh, what it offers, and especially in the ways I think you don't have to be grieving a friendship or have lost a dear, dear friend who didn't want to be friends with you anymore or whatever caused that ending to occur. The book itself is so moving and honest and surprising. So definitely check the book out and I'll give you all the links in the show notes. And at the back end of this conversation, I will definitely let you know where to go to get more of Mari Naomi's work, but that's it for now. Yeah, pretty sure I covered it all. I hope you enjoy this episode of you're going to die. The podcast with Mari Naomi. I mean, there's such so little uh, anything out there about broken friendships and how important they are and how devastating they can be that that's part of the, why I'm fighting to have this book get out there and why I wanted to make it to begin with was I just I wish I had something to refer to. And I think there just needs to be more literature, more movies, just more media where it's less focused on romantic loss and more focused on, you know, friendships are so freaking important. And we just, it's, it's always like the sidekick in a movie or whatever. And it, it, there's yeah. so, so little out there about it. And, but like almost everyone has experienced the loss mm-hmm. of a really close friendship mm-hmm. and it just, it's, it's frustrating to me. And it's something, I mean, so that was part of me wanting to put it out there. Yeah. Um, the, all the, I feel like all the ancillary grief that you might've seen, none of that was intentional. Um, in fact, most of this book wasn't intentional, although it was very deliberate (laughs) visually, but Mm. you were kind of, as the reader following me along as I was trying to figure things out. And so when I was putting down all those other experiences, that was really as for the benefit of me trying to suss out, well, what was going on at that time? Mm -hmm that we were friends, what was going on with me? How was I behaving in my life? And how does that relate to my relationship that I could not remember, but that was so very important to me. Yeah. That, that piece you just said about like that, it's a way I'm sure a lot of people could say, well, yeah, this book I wrote or this song, this album I put together was me like a figuring out, like that's part of what we get right from this creative process and the output. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a way that your book is very much feels like a a live feed of you (laughs) being like, okay, hold on. Like we're going to be with Chris Smith for a second, you know, like we're going to take like three or four pages to be with this death, with this loss. And, and then these other pages where you're, where suddenly you say, is this okay? You know, like, is this healthy that I'm doing this and putting myself through this? It just it has to feel healthy. <laughs> but it gives us a chance to be like, oh, wow, we're like really in it with Mari. You know, this is for sure a process, oh, including yeah. the parts that are like unsure or suddenly feeling mm-hmm. overcome, you know, like the Chris Smith moment. Oh, my God. Is like, oh, what? You know, <laughs> I, I didn't remember him. And then now I get him maybe like suddenly holy sweetly Uh fully Uh and then he's dead you know Uh, so hard (laughs) so really I felt that that element of it throughout which was it's just such a tender way to to like be with someone's work when it has that uh, accented with like the vulnerability the rawness the realness like it feels like it's it's happening quite literally while you're reading it while you're looking at it 
This is the first time I've ever had a book. It started a book where I just didn't know what it was going to be about or where it was going or how it was going to end. So I was quite literally dragging the reader along Mm -hmm. with how I was feeling in the moment, which generally as a memoirist, I try to discourage people from doing because there's not so much perspective in their lives when they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they're doing diary comics, which is a different, you know, journal type stuff is just a different perspective. But for memoir, it tends to be better if you could really look back on things and have like a, okay, this is how I'm processing things now. But this book was literally the process. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, and I just so love it for that um, way it, it kind of works and you, and, and like is with me um, as I'm reading it. Uh I, okay, so I want to bring it back to the this comment you made about the loss of a friend and and knowing I have, you know, I have like a best friend that I met in college who, mm. you know, we were, he was one of my best men, you know, one of my groomsmen, um, just through so many significant, my mother's death. I mean, there's just mm. so many ways. He's just such an important part of my story and yeah. I and still cherish those, those, those ways he is, but also, you know, without going into detail unnecessarily, unless we just want to end up going there, it just, it did reach that point that it, it, it ended, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's stuff that I'm clear is connected to ways that I'm in the world that, that I, I could just related to your, in, in the story, in the book, just like, is this my fault? Like, why, what did I do? What is wrong Mm -hmm. with me? And then the, like finding out other answers to the why, you know, like, oh, it's because of this. It's because they maybe are dealing with this issue and going through all that wrestling um, and, and the, and the time of it. But what I want to really highlight with this kind of loss is something that we, we actually talk about Nick, the producer and I talk about a couple episodes back and it's something that's come up um, coincidentally in the last couple of weeks with some of the grief spaces that we've been holding the Wednesday spot, especially that mm. I told you about and people talking about friendship loss like this relationship loss, not romantic and how that kind of death, you know, and I put it in quotes, but that kind of death, there's a way it's almost like worse than someone dying. Um, because well, for a lot of reasons, and I almost kind of wonder if you're like, yeah, I agree. And here's why before I start listing off all the reasons. I mean, yes or no, yes and no. Yeah. When someone chooses to reject you versus death takes them, there's, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I haven't lost a partner to death yet. Yeah. Um, but, and, and I still have my parents. Uh, I have had people who were close to me die. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Yeah, it hurts more when they break up with you. <laughs> yeah, because well, I think it's that it's like, wait a second, you know, my mom died, and that's there's the finality of it, right? Mm. And there's no complications around her other than maybe some shit you just work through with a parent, where it's like, how was I responsible or guilty, or you know, that's just built into some sort of weird fucked up parts of relationships. Um, but I mean, it like, hurts personally. Like, yeah, I feel like if I yeah. had to choose, well, if uh, my spouse. Gary was no longer in my life. Would I rather it because it's because he died or because he broke up with me? Oh man, 
please break up with me. I would much prefer yeah. that. Even yeah. though it will hurt me and my ego more personally, at least I know he's out there and yes. I know, you know, I don't want him to die. I don't want anyone I love no, to but die. That's also, part of the, that's also part of what hurts. Like, of course, for sure, if we could choose, right? You're yeah. going to say like, yes, Liv. But then it's like, but then it's like, they're out there. You know, and it just hurts to know that they're alive and that, 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 like you said, like the, the, and they chose not the to true, be with you. Yeah. They chose that. Yeah. And that, that yeah. the grief is just so folded into that part and not getting to have conversations or closure. It's an ego thing too. I mean, and that's the thing, like the ego stuff, I can, you know, suss that out and mm. say, like, for example, in my book, I mentioned that. At long after Jody left me for reasons I wasn't clear on yet, I her her reasons at the time were because I wasn't a good friend and all these things that were kind of confusing to me because she'd never said those things before. Um, but there was a part of me that even though I missed her and I was just so wounded by it, I was also proud of her for standing up for herself and doing something that was right for her when my whole friendship with her, she'd always let people walk all over her. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, good. I'm glad she's gotten stronger. I'm glad it didn't manifest in this way where she left me. But, you know, I I, I was still happy knowing she was out there and Mm. that she was maybe living a better life, maybe taking care of herself better. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it turned out to be all lies, but. (laughs) Yeah, that that's that's something I really relate to. I want to say. And I, and I feel like that this this might be a way to get to a, a bigger question that I have, but I want to acknowledge from my personal experience with this friend in my life, mm-hmm. there was this these times where I would get to relief because I could feel myself genuinely wanting them to be happy and mm-hmm. moving past like I'm the wounded one, angry, yeah. hurt, and feeling like that was like part of my growth or processing. Um, maybe even evolution or maturing where I could reach a point where I was like, you know what? I really hope that they're happy. And I feel like there's moments in the book, like where even I think the one where it is, you happen to run into Jody at a party or something, and you can just really feel that Jody's communicating in a way that's kind of aggressive and sort of nasty. And, mm-hmm. and the relief, even in that moment of you sort of realizing, wow, they're more in a bad way than I ever knew when we were friends, you know, yeah. and, and that there was like an understanding that was kind of a relief in a way, knowing that it didn't last, but, but that it was a moment of letting go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's always that, that feeling, especially when so, like someone breaks up with you romantically and you see, and if you find them on social media or see them and you're like, Oh, they're not, they're not living their best life or they're mm-hmm. kind of a jerk. You're just like, Oh, well, I guess I don't miss them after all. Or I, mi- I, <laughs> yeah, miss, I know that. <laughs> I miss yeah. who they were or who I thought they were, right. but maybe it's okay. They're not in my life. Like that's always a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess it's a little different from like, I hope they're, ha- <laughs> I hope they're happy <laughs> and living their best life. I really do. I always want them to be happy and sure. living their best life. I always do. Even the worst people in my life. Well, uh. <laughs> there's a couple of people who, who, uh, appear in my book who I'm like, it's okay that maybe they're not living their best life. <laughs> yeah. You, you make sure to mention <laughs> a couple people. All right. So here's, here's one thing I've sort of touched on a bit already. And it's just because the story of Jody just, it just encompasses so it, your, most your life, mm-hmm. you know, and the formative parts. Yeah. yeah. And so 
it, it is something I think a lot about personally and have for years, especially doing this kind of work and going through like traumatic things and losing my mom um, included. But it's that I wonder when these things happen to us, how much it's about like some deeper wound. And I know it's about Jody. And I know it's like, but then also it just spills into other grief and other, you know, she's connected to other like hard parts of your life, going back to like how it was being a kid and growing up in your household. Mm -hmm. And so there's part of me that wants to come back to that question of, you know, did this also give you a chance, this book give you a chance working on it to process some of that stuff? You know, it's like, it, it is Jody really about another wound, you know? Like these things that happened to us where we're like, oh, it's about, it's that for me, it'd be like abandonment, you know, um, mm. growing up. And I'm just wondering if, if there's stuff that you got clear or knew as you went into it, that you were engaging with something that that's a wound that is Jody's connected to, but it's not something Jody made. I, I honestly was unprepared for all of it. Mm. Um, the things that came up in a way it's all connected, but the parental stuff, I don't. I don't know. I feel like I'm so far beyond that. And my mm -hmm. parents and I are good right now. Um, it's, it's taken a long time to get there. I'm almost yeah. 50 and we're, but we're good. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the stuff with Chris Smith, that was, you know, you peel open a bandaid and you're like, whoa, I didn't see that there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also bringing back memories of just abusive relationships or, um, just stuff that was going on. Like it was so much darker than I remembered in some ways. I don't know. That's the thing with memoir. You're never sure what you're going to yeah. touch on. Yeah. I think probably with my, my wondering, it's more wondering, I don't know, but like, because Jody was a part of has been a part of decades of your life. There's, it's just going to lend itself to you. Like you said, oh, well, this was during that time where I was at that job and yeah. I was next to that person who's lost their son. <laughs> you know, I mean, Man. it just lends itself to like these moments that in, in a way are definitely connect. And <laughs> they're those kinds of moments in life that are sort of the um, standout moments anyway. Like when you think back to that job, I, I imagine that's one of the moments maybe in a handful that stands out so significantly, but it also really connects. It lands in the book really well. You know, do you know oh, this what I'm talking about with the, <laughs> yeah. The, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and, that's great to hear. Cause yeah. you know, when you're, when you're writing something like that, when you're writing about your own life, sometimes often all the time, it's really hard to figure out, well, is this relevant to the story? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like when you're writing about your life, what is the story exactly? Yeah. <laughs> well, it just your seems no action to me. It's like you got Chris Smith, you got the, the, the guy that's getting the divorce screaming your boss oh in, the, in the other room. You got the woman who was supposed to be your boss or you were assisting losing her son. And, and you just said, you said this line was so good. You said, you know, her, something like her, the grief, like softened her or, you know, oh, yeah, I think that's yeah. the wording. And, and then Kit, is it Kit, K-I-E-T? Kit. 
Kiet, Kiet's brother, the funeral moment, talking about oh, Kiet's man. brother. You know, there's a I lot guess there of those. There's a lot moments. of death in there. I didn't really think about it, but you're right. There's there's a lot of death in this book. And I wonder if like getting to grieve or at least express the grief of of you know what happened with Jody lent itself and got sensibly accented by other grief that was sort of floating around you. Um, huh. That's really struck me. And I, I know the risk there is that, oh, we're talking on a podcast called You're Going to Die. So I better write down <laughs> notes on all the death. And there might be one or two notes that's like, all right, that I get it. You know, you don't need to force it. But, but also it's a lot. It's in there a lot. It's throughout the I book. didn't even, it didn't even occur to me, honestly. That is mm. so funny. When, yeah, well, you approached me a while ago uh, asking if I wanted to talk about this. And I mean, I was going through some stuff at the time and I just, I was not ready to talk about sad things. Yeah. Um, I was dealing with some mental health stuff and I'm, I'm luckily with the help of therapy and meds, I am past it. Um, but I'd been gone, I'd gone through a pretty difficult time uh, during parts of the pandemic. And so yeah, when you reached out to me again recently, I'm like, oh, I mean, you know, that seems like a million years ago. I'm yeah. I'm so good right now. Yeah. Oh I'm wow, that's good. Just so happy. I'm I'm in such a better place. I moved out of a really horrible situation. I'm surrounded by people who love me versus people who hate me. Like, yeah. just everything has changed. And and so when you asked me about this, I'm like, well, I am. You know, I'm supposed to be talking about this book. I'm supposed to be promoting this book that's about to come out. But I'm like, how? Do, I'm not sure how this fits in. But mm. yeah, there's there's some grief about friendship, and that's hilarious that you're pointing out so much death that it didn't even occur to me that there was death in here, except for um, the man who sexually assaulted yeah, my friend. I was gonna say, yeah, and I am glad he's dead. Mm-hmm. That was the obit, <laughs> the obituary you included, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could say the F word on this podcast. Yeah, I've said it several times. Okay. Oh, no, no. It's just a part of my vernacular. I don't even notice. But yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Stamped. everybody this is that moment in the episode every episode pretty much where i encourage you to support the podcast one way or another and i'm gonna keep doing that it's important but also i sometimes am not sure i can freshly encourage you to support the podcast and also i wonder if you're over me encouraging you to support the podcast so i brought in a special guest ladies and gentlemen my son hi everybody uh, hey, buddy. How old are you? I'm 21. <laughs> Great. Um, thanks for doing this. Uh, I'm wondering if you can encourage the guest in a fresh way to support the podcast being in the world. Okay. Um, well, maybe just rate the podcast. Okay. Um, like... How do they do that? Maybe do it with the, <laughs> the little stars. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So click the stars. All right. What else can they do? 
put six stars. Six stars, everyone. I think five is the max, but we're encouraging you, my son's encouraging you to try to really push the limits on that. Six stars, good idea. Okay, what else can they do? Uh, You can try and tell other people about the podcast. Ooh. And, like, let them know about it so they can rate it as well and see if they like it. And also, one last thing. Yeah. Take deep breaths in life. Oh, wow. That is a way to support the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. I needed that. All right, everybody. Oop, whoop. Anything else? Um, Just live life how it is. <laughs> okay, everybody. You heard it here first. A couple ways to support the podcast and to live life uh, how it works. How it is. <laughs> oh. Okay, everybody. You heard it here first couple ways to support the podcast and also breathe deeply and live life how it is. There you go. That's the trick about making ours. You kind of have to figure it out. So I let me explain a little bit about how I conceived of the visuals of this book, because I think that'll explain some of it. Um, as you know, or anyone listening may or may not know, most of my career um, since the 90s has been, uh, well, my comics career has been black and white, usually autobio comics um, in very comics-y form, like indie comics. It's not like mainstreamy, just kind of, I don't know what they call it, naive or whatever, just really simple drawings. Um, and, but I've always been interested in other part, kinds of art. I've always been interested in painting. I love collage, but it's so, it's always been so hard on my hands. Um, it, you know, you you're cutting up things with scissors. It's so hard. And also I'm kind of klutzy and I cut myself all the time <laughs> and get paper cuts. Anyway. So for a number of years, I worked on a life-size, uh, collage. It was double-sided and I called it Love and Death. And um, it's it's in this book. Um, I don't know if you like saw there's like two images. One is in the back and one is in the front of the image. It's um, of me filled with flowers, surrounded by grass. There's my cat there. Yeah, and then like on the other side. Do you feel like you shared that online ever or had put it out I, publicly? I have. I have put it out. Um, this piece it took years and years to make and as I said it's really hard for me to do collage so you know this was a really significant piece for me I thought it was the best thing I'd ever done um, the other side of the, the collage is well the painting collage mixed media is me um, and it, with lots of pictures of clouds that I'd cut out of magazines um, and I'm also filled with flowers and it's up to the art uh, the, the viewer to interpret which side is love and which side is death and um this piece got destroyed and it was life size. So like it was the size of me, um, filled with flowers mm. and God, just I, just thousands and thousands of pieces of paper that I'd cut by hand oh and it got destroyed before it ever got a public viewing. So there's only a handful of people who ever seen it. Wow. Um, it was destroyed by a gallery by accident and Ooh. they had insurance, but it didn't cover this piece because it was um, not on the gallery floor when they messed it up. 
and it's just one of the saddest things that's ever happened to me. It's called love and death, Mari. (laughs) Right? It's like I was asking for it in some level. Um, But visually, that's what this book is based off of. So when Mm -hmm. I thought about, well, how am I going to depict different things? I started taking elements from this collage that I'd spent, I mean, just so many hours making. Um, And I was so familiar with it. Uh, So it's something that I'd sat with many, many hours, you know, years, Mm. but years before. Um, So it's almost like it sunk into my being. That Mm. sounds really cheesy. Um, uh, It's it's clear. I did. um, So, so they, the gallery, it's a community gallery in San Francisco. They offered to pay me. I think I was, I priced it ridiculously high because I didn't want it to sell. Cause like, I didn't want to sell it. Um, uh-huh. and so I priced it at like $40,000 and they were offering to give it to me. I'm like, I can't take this from a community gallery. So I offered oh a trade God. and I, they lent me the gallery space. So I curated a show and I also celebrated my sister's 30th birthday and their like event space. And so that was the trade. Wow. And obviously I didn't make my money back and I'm forever mourning this image but like the book is sort of me bringing that image back to life mm. and you and you see the actual image but back to the 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 well, well b- before you go back oh okay it just again you're like okay ned i get it it's grief it's death it's loss like the, bu- <laughs> <laughs> the book is all that's everything that it is and now come to find out that j- even the visual aspects is <laughs> Directly related to a major loss that you were processing while you were putting this book together. Anyway, okay, that's all. You're I won't right. keep saying. That's a good point. Do you need me, if you need me to further remind you that you belong in this conversation here on the show, uh, let me know. I think I've said enough. Oh, that's enough. hilarious. Okay. You know, you're you're utterly right. That's so funny. Mm. Um, and that's I'm looking wild. at the image right now and that my cat who passed away is full of um, flowers that will mm. poison a cat, which is interesting that I made that choice. Oh, wow. uh, anyway, uh, so to me, was her name was Kitty. Kitty, and she was she was horrible to everyone but me. She was the best. <laughs> <laughs> she lived for fourteen years, which isn't oh that long for God. a cat. Yeah. But I was with her for thirteen of those fourteen years, so wow. we were very close. Mm-hmm. So, so the flowers, were, and I remember holding her down so I could have an outline of her. she didn't love it um anyway back to the imagery uh so you when you start off and there's um there's a lot of corkboard backgrounds Mm -hmm. and the reason for that was uh when i started making this book and started conceiving of this book is basically what you see is i was putting these um i was writing it out on post-its and sticking it to a cork board and trying to figure out how things like how our relationship, like what happened when Mm. in our relationship. And it was, this was really hard. Um, you know, so in a nutshell for people who don't know what the book's about, I had a friendship in my teens and twenties. We were best friends almost till my thirties. Uh, and, one day she basically ghosted me and I could never figure out what happened. And, um, and then about, I don't know, 10 years later, I found out maybe in my thirties, actually long after we'd stopped being friends, I found out the real reason, 
why she'd stopped being my friend. And, uh, and it was pretty awful. And it took me, I don't know, another 10 years before where I was trying to get over it, trying to get over it, but I was so angry and betrayed. And, um, just one day on, well, on January 7th, 2016, specifically, I decided, okay, I'm ready. I, I need to get past this. I'm going to start writing about this. Mm. And so, uh, so that's what I did. And I started with corkboards and post-its. And, um, and the thing is, when I was like, okay, I'm going to write about this, I realized that I had forgotten, like, pretty much all the good memories that we had, all that stuck out was the negative. And I'm like, okay, well, I think in order to get over this, I'm going to have to remember some of the good stuff. So I went back to all my journals and calendar entries from all those years before, because I'm sort of an emotional hoarder. And I, yeah. uh, <laughs> there's a picture of like, uh, I don't know, a hundred journals. That oh my you God. So many journals. That's real. Those are your journals. Oh yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> and, uh, so I read, so I sat down and for weeks, I just went through and read through all these journals and all the agendas. The journals were kind of um, useless because they were just my feelings, um, but my ca- my agendas and calendars were more helpful because they showed me how often I hung out with her because I wrote it all down mm. and, you know, what we did that day. And so I was basically taking every instance of her and putting on a post-it note and then arranging it on a corkboard and say, okay, well, wow, we sure hung out a lot that year, or we didn't hang out at all that year. You know, you know, when were we friends? When were we close? When did we drift away? When did we stop being friends? I was trying to figure it all out. And I realized in the process of this, how much of my memory, um, even not related to Jody, that I completely forgot. Like people in my life, people who were once important to me, I couldn't even recognize their names. I'm like, who is this person that I keep on? Like, I have all these hearts around. I know I didn't date them because at least I, at least I remember those people, Um, but I didn't know, you know, anything about them. So I, it was, so I was kind of on this journey to figure out, well, what was going on? Were we really friends that time? You know, I thought we were best friends. Did she? Was she using me? Was she nefarious? Was she just messed up? Like I was just figuring out what went wrong so I could move forward. And that's and and the reader is finding that out in real time with me. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at old letters that she sent me, um, and and old diary entries because I type them all out in a typewriter um, as I come across them. I'm, you know, so you're, you're looking at bits and pieces from my past. Um, and I do, and it's much of it, there are comics, but much of it is collage and just straight up art. Um, because when I got an iPad, I realized it's so much easier to make collage from my own images that I mm. photograph with an iPad versus analog where you'd have Mm -hmm. to print up pictures and ruin your hands doing it. And plus you could do the fades and all that stuff. So, so I was really having, um, even though this was kind of traumatic to write about and revisit, I was having the time of my life artistically because I'm like, Oh, what kind of metaphors am I going to use here? How am I going to represent all these things? So you see a lot of corkboard pics, especially when there's a excerpt of a journal entry or things that are going on. Every time a memory starts coming back or it feels like it's coming back, I use images of lilacs, I believe they are, the purple flowers, Mm -hmm. 
Um, and this is a collage that I created uh, on my iPad from a, some, from photos I made. And the reason I use that as memory is because every time I smell one of these flowers, it's like a deja vu. Like mm. it just triggers that part of my brain. Um, I use pictures of roses and flowers um, to represent my faith in my friends. So when you see me full of flowers, oftentimes like I have not been disillusioned yet by my friend or I'm trying to get there. Um, my friend is represented by a, a green uh, plant that I didn't find out until after I finished the book because I didn't want to know. I've since found out that it's a licorice plant um, because I, I didn't want to know if it was good or bad or yeah. neutral because I just I wanted like this was her plant and I and I felt like I didn't know how I felt about her mm. at this point. Um, and there's there's all sorts of patterns and images that repeat throughout the book. All the photos that weren't of me were taken by me. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not an easy book. No way. Not, I mean, yeah, like, I, know. I, I know that for sure more now, but just, <laughs> you even said it in your book. I wanted to like, you said, I don't, I don't, let me just tell you what you said in your book that I, <laughs> I happen to write down to, to get to a point in life where commonalities with people dwindle and mm. to know, like you said, there's these, you're also someone, and I am too, knows what it means to have experienced the aloneness moment or the, the isolation and, and, and sure, maybe so many of us have, but the difference is this commitment to like, well, okay, now it's time out of that grass, out of the, you know, hand reaching out of the water. Um, what can you do? Like, where can you find connectedness? Where can you rebuild? And, and knowing a lot of this book is like many versions of, of going through that. Um, yeah. and so sink or swim. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's this thing that I see with a lot of people who are younger, who are going, who are going through like the recession right now or layoffs and stuff like that. Like, I feel like, I, I sound like a super old lady right now <laughs> or super old non-binary. I don't know. Uh, who, but like I've seen things like I've had to rebuild my life so many times that I just, I know that it's so hard. It's so hard to do. Um, and I don't believe that whatever kills you makes you stronger. However, I do believe that emotionally that is correct physically i feel like whatever doesn't kill you actually yeah, weakens you forever yeah and eventually kills you. <laughs> well you're eventually gonna die anyway as yeah, the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. says but like yeah no every every time i've had a major health crisis it's definitely weakened me forever mm -hmm. like anyone who's had that happen yeah. and it creates problems down the line but so so all these people who are like oh just get covid it'll be fine i'm like no that's yeah, not how it works. Yeah. But uh but the but when you have to pull yourself up out of something difficult, mm -hmm. there is something amazing that happens after you've gone past the hard part. And it's not immediate necessarily, it's not instantaneous, but but it happens when you realize that by your own sheer will, you have survived. And mm -hmm. I've been through layoffs before. I've been through all these things. And I've, and it, it just breaks my heart seeing people like, for example, people in the animation industry whose who's shows got canceled or, you know, before people could even see them. Like, mm -hmm. I know, I know how that feels. That was 
this is very common in the video game industry. There are yeah, so I mean, many games that get canceled yeah. like before they'll ever see the light, just people lose funding. So I've been down this road before, mm-hmm. you know, it, it happens again and again, and it's so hard and you never like, that's something that you grieve forever. You never get over it. Right. Um, the death of like this, this, this collage that I made, I'll never get over it, but like, I will try to, uh, try to, honor it in the best way I can. I mean, it sounds so narcissistic that I'm honoring my own art, but you know what I'm saying? Well, it's like, you know, a love of your life, you know? Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't even, I mean, even think maybe like the possibility of this thing being separate of you. Like I don't hear it as narcissism. It's like, you like put something in the world that's like a being, you know, literally a life size being. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, but but I see all these people who are just grieving these, mm. you know, these projects and it, and it freaking breaks my heart. But like, if any of them are listening, I just, you know, it, it does get better and you are going to build something better yeah. out of this rubble, but you have to let yourself grieve and you have to just, just move on um, and move up. And yeah, again, I've, I've done that so many times in my life and, and sometimes it's so hard and sometimes I'm like, well, I've done this before. I could do it again. At this point, that's how I feel. It's like, mm-hmm. well, my career may crumble, but I've switched careers before. I've done things like I've started from nothing. I could do it again. Yeah. You know, when Twitter kind of died for me, I mean, I know people are still on there, but I pretty much quit with mm-hmm. occasional self-promotion peaks mm-hmm. back. But like, as soon as Elon bought it, I'm like, no, I can't, I cannot yeah. get behind how he treats his employees. I cannot be part of this. And I kind of vanished. That was something that I was on all day, every day for years. Mm. And it's so sad. Like I had like, I don't know, 11,500, 11,500 followers or something. And like, that's something I'd built over so long. Like this, just, you know, connecting with people. I miss people from there, but it's like, there's going to be something else. Yeah. And it's hard and it's hard, but every time you build from the ground up again, I I don't know. It it does something to you. It, Mm. it, it makes you stronger. It really does. Even Mm. though it's devastating sometimes all this time work you put into it, but it does make you stronger. It makes you more resilient specifically, maybe not stronger. Mm. And, and it reminds me of this thing and that maybe this is too much of a diversion. You could edit this out later where I was, I moved into this house in the mountains that turned out to be a complete, um, mistake, but that, and that's what I needed therapy about for a while. But, uh, but anyway, I, I was still in the happy phase. I was, I was moved into this house, um, in the mountains. I didn't have any cell service and I, the place was just wild. And I went over there. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to clean this up. And I was, uh, out there in like a beekeeping outfit because I didn't want mosquitoes on me. And I got attacked by this swarm of wasps, Um, but I didn't realize what was happening. All I knew was I heard a buzzing and I probably swatted at it. I don't know. Big mistake. Next thing I know, (laughs) I just felt these electric shocks through my clothes. And I'm like, what is going on? Am I getting attacked? And I'm like, are these bees? What's going on? I couldn't see anything because I was in this stupid hat and I had a mask on for something because of the dust. And, um, and so I'm like, I don't know what to do. I have no communication out here. My, I have no cell service. I don't know if I'm allergic to wasp stings, mm. if this is what they are. Um, 
And so, and, and it just kept going. And so I started running and it kept going. I'm like, are they in my clothes? What is going on? I ran, I ran, I ran to the house. I ran around the house. I didn't want them to go in the house. So I ran around the house a couple of times and then opened the door and then ran in. I ran through this giant house that I had no business buying and I ran up the stairs. And as I was running through the house, I'm shedding off my clothes. There's no people around. Like this is out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I'm shedding my clothes off, um, throwing it around. I couldn't still couldn't see what was biting me. I could still feel it biting me. And I ran upstairs into the bathroom, shut the door and just stared at my bloody body like and I'm panting I have no phone which you know it turns out I dropped it right next to the nest but like it didn't matter because I had no service and I'm panting and I'm like what do I do you know are they all in the house are they on the other side of this door waiting for me like what is going on now I don't have any clothes off so on not like that (laughs) was helping I was I was fucking naked just just oozing blood off my arms and my chest Cause I don't know how, I mean, apparently they could go right through cotton and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? How do I get out of this? And it was just this really scary moment where I'm like, am I about to have an allergic reaction? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? How do I get out of this? Okay. And then I just got into like, it's business time mode. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I remember this story that Gary's mom told, Gary told me about his mom, how she would go throughout the house and, um, and just vacuum up wasps when they got in the house or bees or whatever. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, I think there's a vacuum in the next room. Yeah. So I'm like, but I don't know if like these wasps are waiting on, like, I don't know what they do when they're inside a house. Yeah. So I'm like opening the door slowly. I'm looking around, I'm listening to buzzing. I don't hear anything. Spoiler alert. They go to windows and try to get out. Yeah, they the they don't remember you. Yeah. yeah. They, they're, they're not sitting there waiting for you. They're like trying to get out. Right. So anyway, I, I grab, I'm naked and bleeding. I'm and crazy I'm, if they're like outside the door, just like, there she imagine? is. She's like, coming that's out. That's how it felt. Cause they were chasing me. Yes. Oh my God. So I get the, get the vacuum. I plug it in. I just walk around from window to window and just zip them up. Wow. And like naked and bleeding, zipping up these, uh, sucking up these, these wasps. Yeah. And I felt like Linda Hamilton in Terminator mm-hmm. 2. Yeah, I yeah. felt so <laughs> kick-ass. I'm like, I fucking survived for a whole like hour. I didn't even think about the pandemic. I didn't yeah. even think about like all the shit that I was going through, all the horrible mm. mental health shit. I felt powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the next couple of weeks, it was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> things are healing, but Followed. like at the time, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Anyway, that's my survival story. <laughs> that's right. Good. Good snapshot like example of like fucking getting it done. Like yeah. no matter how beat and like vulnerable, <laughs> naked, oh, still yeah. being like this, it's go time. You know, when you have nothing like that's like you have nothing to lose, as mm. they say, like there is there is no way down. Like right. it, it, was, it was just up from there. That's and, right. and well, this feels like that just to bring it back to the book. I mean, you <laughs> said it repeatedly. It's like it's the ground up. There's like this yeah. repeated imagery. And so then maybe the point you're accenting now, this like, OK, you know, like I'm there. So in a way, <laughs> I'm grounded. And the only place to go is, you know up from here and how your book 
repeatedly holds moments like that. And also like my again, life, the <laughs> life, right. Uh, repeated, my book, like my life. low levels, the repeated devastation or loss, um, or low points. Um, but even the book itself is, is that, I mean, this one you say at one point, <laughs> you have a couple moments like this where you're like, just reading everything. I'm just looking at everything. And then it hits a page where you're it's like you just stop me and say, transcribing these journals is hard. You know, it's just like these moments where you're like, listen, do you know what's going on here? <laughs> this is just like a cool page. Right. It's a lot of emotion and a lot of work. And, oh, my God. Uh, but then it's just, just you give yourself that moment. Like you, it sounds like you had in the bathroom, which I feel like is so important <laughs> when we go through hard shit. Where you're just like, yeah. okay, I'm fucked up right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just going to make room for it. And now what? You know? It's important to acknowledge that, especially I feel like when you're sharing stuff, some people think, think oh, you share a lot. That must mm. be really easy for you. And sometimes it is. Sometimes I'm just used to it, some, yeah. especially embarrassing stories. Like, I have very little problem admitting embarrassing things because I know what's on the other side. I know yeah. it'll make people laugh. But if you don't have that experience or when you're starting out, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. And it's really hard. And sometimes it's still hard. And it's really hard looking back on hard times when you weren't a particularly good person. Like mm -hmm. I definitely looking back at me not being a person that I can feel proud of, like that's really hard because I, like everyone, want to feel like I'm a good person, and I yeah. wasn't always. No one is. song 
is titled The Flowers Above You Are Blooming This Time of Year by Lake Mary. Is there a place to check them out, Nick? Uh, Hi, it's me, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just get into it. So wait, Lake Uh, Mary... This Lake just Mary's in, y'all. Name, Lake Mary. <laughs> Go ahead. It's the name of a band from uh, Columbia, Missouri. And uh, you can hear them on on, on streaming services. Services Just really wonderful uh, instrumental music. I, I listen to instrumental music a lot for writing. Me too. And yeah. walking and such. And um, mm-hmm. I, think you, I think you'll like that band. Okay, cool. Yeah, check them out. And then if you want to find out more, thank you so much, Mari Naomi. So good to connect to you in this way after all these years. If you want to find out more about Mari Naomi's work, go to their website at marinaomi.com. That's M-A-R-I-N-A-O-M-I.com. And get the new book uh, titled, I Thought You Loved Me. They have a bunch of books, though, like nine or ten books. So definitely check out their work. Follow them on Instagram. Again, I'll put all the links in the show notes. Nick, Jana, how are you doing today? Great. I I really loved reading that book. And uh, it's a really, I mean, you talk about it in the interview, but the style is really unique, like the collage style and like writing parts of the story on post-it notes and photographing them and like, it, it, it's it's a really engaging style of book. And also, I mean, it's a really well-crafted book. And at the same time, I admire when someone can do that and leave the emotional content of it, like really messy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, yeah. it, it's a really just emotionally messy story. And it's not like mm-hmm. a, a, a prideful march through, <laughs> yeah. you know, victories or anything. Like it's, it's really messy, but that's what life is like. And I, I just really appreciate that. It was really good reading. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the conversation, and I don't know how much we include the technical side, but one thing I want to acknowledge again here is the sort of live feed feeling of it that really what Mari gives us is the process, and the process is messy. There's no getting to this thing being done and complete and so nicely handed over to you, and I think that's part of the gift of the the book is that it really met me in my messiness and, and really even specifically how with my own friend and, and, and my relationships with friends in this way, those kinds of losses, you kind of get sort of crazy about it. And Mari really let me feel at least like I wasn't alone. It doesn't make it feel okay. Uh, but it makes me feel less alone, which is definitely a nice kind of medicine to get from their work. Ned, I know we've uh, talked. There- oh, I've got some breaking news. Okay. Before you share that news, I want to tell everybody, usually what Nick and I would do right now is talk about the friendships in our lives that were hard and hurt and we didn't have them and it was their own little deaths, but we're not going to do that because we did that once already in another episode. So go back into the catalog, listen to all the episodes to the end and find that conversation if you I want think to it was hear like two episodes ago. Don't tell them. To. I want them to listen to all of them. Start from the first episode, everybody, and listen moving forward until you get to that episode if you want to hear that conversation. Okay, Nick, breaking news. All right, let's do this. Yeah, from the NBA. Uh, there's important <laughs> oh, news, and it's not what you think. Okay, it's, okay. It's not what you think. I can't even think anything that it would be, but yes. I'm ready. Yes, LeBron James broke the scoring record, but that's not what I'm talking about. I know that's what you were going to say, but no. Oh, um, man. 
this is a good for our demographic. You know, we got a lot of basketball fans out here. Go ahead. You you will never believe who is competing in the NBA slam dunk competition this year in a couple of weeks. I'll give you a hint. Okay. They're not they're this is the first time a non-NBA player is participating in the slam dunk contest. Okay. That's the hint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so essentially everyone but an NBA player. That's my hint is everyone else but an NBA player. I have no idea. And I'm trying to figure out like, is it somebody, you know, that's like Ani DeFranco or <laughs> Jay Miller? I'll give you another hint. He once took a he once took a photo of us. Oh no. <laughs> His name is Mac McClung. Oh, he was on the Golden State Warriors preseason team, but he didn't make an NBA wow, team this, this is... year. He's in the G League. And I just randomly looked him up yesterday. I was like, I wonder what happened to Mac McClung. Okay, and that's in incredible. His, on his Wikipedia page, it says he is the first non-NBA player to be invited to the slam dunk competition. And oh, holy crap. Two weeks. So, okay. You wanna, do you want to give the backstory to this? Like why it's an amazing connection to this context? Yeah, Ned goes into San Quentin prison uh, uh, regularly, weekly, but there was a, an opportunity in August or September for us as a group to go in and do an open mic in in the yard of the prison. And it was yeah. during their mental health week where they were doing a lot of activities. And mm-hmm. that day was the culmination of that week where they had several things going on, one of which was a basketball game between the Golden State Warriors <laughs> and the men in San Quentin prison. Uh-huh. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Steph Curry. It wasn't the stars, but like there were several players who were really tall. And one of them was this guy, Mac McClung, who was just on the team probably for like two weeks. <laughs> and this was one of his activities on the, on the team, but he was a super nice guy. And we both were leaving the prison at the same time and walking out. And us as a group wanted to get a photo of us in front of the sign that sent San Quentin prison. And Ned just like hands, hands his phone to a basketball player. <laughs> Says, could you take a photo of us? And he kind of like laughed, like, uh, I don't get this a lot. Yeah, exactly. He took a great photo of us. He did. Um, it was a little high. It was just mostly the highest parts of our body. <laughs> well, he was cut from the team the next day, but yeah. Uh, um, was it the very next day? It was very shortly afterwards. That's yeah. Cause you had sent me a link about that. Wow. But he's, he's really good. I mean, honestly, like I was watching his games. And I was like, this guy's good, but like he plays point guard behind a team that has Steph Curry, the best point guard ever. So hard to make, hard to make that team. There is, it is hard to make that team. There is probably no other way to significantly connect the NBA context to you're going to die's context other than what you just shared with us. I don't know what else to add, everybody. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that breaking news. Just maybe if he wins and he becomes this breakthrough sensation, maybe we can get him on the show and say, hey, hey, remember us mm-hmm. and that day? And what yeah. was that like to be? on a team for two weeks and have that be one of your activities. <laughs> yeah. The highlight of his day was not getting asked to be in a photo, but being made to take a photo of other people. That's yeah. a gift. We, yeah. we, we're definitely going to try to get him on the show. Well, thanks Nick for that breaking news. And thanks. <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. So glad you're here. So glad we're in your ear until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>